brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Francis had a rather strange and unsettling comment he made to a journalist in an interview in the flagship Jesuit outlet just a few days ago, and it received virtually no attention. He likes to do these things during holy days and during the most solemn times of the year when we're not paying as much attention. And it helps frame the latest turn in the battle over the synod on synodality in ways that nothing else really quite can. Francis almost gets prophetic in this statement, which, given that he is participating in the deconstruction and reconstruction of the church, should have the attention of everyone observing this turn of events. So today I have a statement for you, which will help frame the latest in the German synod. The Germans have responded to that letter written during Holy Week that was signed by over 70 of the better and otherwise well-meaning bishops in the church. And the response reveals probably more than they ever intended for it to respond to reveal. So let's get into the story because the implications of Francis's statement and the German response are rather big. To say that Francis made a disturbing comment to reporters is really nothing that special, to be honest with you. If Francis is the master of anything, he is the master of unsettling the faithful with bizarre statements. And he made another bizarre statement ahead of Holy Week that, again, few seem to even know he made. In the early 1960s, then Father Ratzinger made a famous statement warning that the church was going to shrink in membership, lose its elevated status in the eyes of the world, become poor, and essentially go underground. Francis reiterates that statement, but seems to celebrate it, which is profoundly strange and unsettling. I'm bringing you this ahead of a recap of the bizarre turn the Synod took recently because the statement looms large over the Synod. Here's the question his interviewer was asked in Civilita Cattolica, the foremost Italian Jesuit publication in the church today. It's the foremost of all Jesuit publications. And it's followed by Francis's answer. Quote, Holy Father, the reality of the church today is changing. It is becoming smaller and smaller in a secular materialist Europe. At the same time, the church is developing in Asia and Africa. What will the church of the future be like? Will it be smaller, but more humble and authentic? What about the church's synodal journey? Where is it going? Francis's answer. Pope Benedict was a prophet of this church of the future, a church that will become smaller, lose many privileges, be more humble and authentic, and find energy for what is essential. It will be a church that is more spiritual, poorer, and less political, a church of the little ones. As a bishop, Benedict had said, Let us prepare ourselves to be a smaller church. This is one of his greatest insights. Today, there is the problem of vocations. Yes, it is also true that in Europe, there are fewer younger people. Before, there were three or four children per family, now often only one. Marriages are decreasing while people focus on their profession. I would tell the mothers of those 35-year-olds who still live with their parents to stop ironing their shirts. In this situation, there is also the risk of wanting to seek vocations without adequate discernment. I remember that in 1994, a Synod on Consecrated Life was held. I attended as a delegate from Argentina. At the time, the scandal of the novices in the Philippines had broken out. The religious congregations went there in search of vocations to, quote-unquote, import into Europe. This is terrible. Europe has aged. We have to get used to this, but we have to do it creatively, so as to assume for vocations the qualities that you mentioned in general for the church in your question. Humility, service, authenticity. Then you also mentioned the synodal path, and this is a further step. 
we are learning to speak and write, quote unquote, in synod. It was Paul VI who resumed the synodal discourse, which had been lost. Since then, we have moved forward in understanding and understanding what the synod is. I remember that I was a relator for the Synod of Bishops in 2001. Actually, the relator was Cardinal Egan, but because of the events of September 2001, he had to go back to New York, his diocese. I was the substitute. The opinions of everyone, even of individual groups, were collected and sent to the General Secretariat. I would gather the material and arrange it. The Secretary of the Synod would examine it and say to remove this or that thing, which had been approved by a vote of various groups. There were things he did not consider appropriate. There was, in short, a pre-selection of materials. Clearly, there was a failure to understand what a synod is. Today, we have moved forward, and there is no going back. At the end of the last synod, in survey of topics to be addressed in the next synod, the first two were priesthood and synodality. It seemed clear to me that there was a desire to reflect on the theology of synodality in order to take a decisive step toward a synodal church. Finally, I want to say that we must not forget the jewel, which is Paul VI Evangelii Nuntiandi. What is the vocation of the church? It is not numbers, it is to evangelize. The joy of the church is to evangelize. The real problem is not whether we are few and short, but whether the church evangelizes. In the meetings before the conclave, we talked about what figure the new pope should represent. It was precisely there in the general congregations that the image of the church going forth was used. In Revelation, it says, I stand at the door and knock. But today the Lord is knocking from within to be let out. This is the need of today, the vocation of the church today. And lengthy quote. And there's a lot to unpack there. And I want to remind you that Francis told us that synodality, we need to speak in synodality. And everything he said there, especially about vocations, goes to the heart of why they're trying to democratize the church, to give the laity authority positions in the church that will culminate in them running dioceses if some of the modernists who've been very vocal about this have their way. We are learning to speak in synod, whatever that means. And I doubt many could make heads or tails of that statement, but here I'll try. Speaking in synod means apparently to listen to various different positions in the church, dialogue with each other, and then find a path to move forward away from the church's traditional position on whatever it is being discussed be it the role of the lady in governing the church, the James Martin issue, or any topic, really. It's being done in the name of evangelizing. It's always evangelizing without conversion, though, which is an interesting thing that they're doing. As a consequence, traditional Catholics need not apply to attend the synodal process. I'll give you an example. My traditional parishes were not invited to participate, to my knowledge, and I've heard from Numerous regular viewers have returned to tradition that their traditional Latin Mass-only parishes were conspicuously not invited to attend either. The German Synod casts a long shadow over the entire synodal process as well. You'll recall that Cardinal Reinhard Marx of Germany stated that the Church's teaching on the sins of the flesh are not written in stone and need to be updated. As Catholic journalist Riccardo Caschioli notes, the activities of the German Synod appear to be coordinated internationally with the goal of moving the entire church's teaching on the sins of the flesh and changing them so they are in accordance with the spirit of the world. This is from a piece he wrote at the beginning of April, and it's worth noting here. Quote, the exit of Cardinal Marx does not have to simply be with the vindication of the German church, and not only because Marx is a member of the restricted council of cardinals, which assists Pope Francis in governing the church. Indeed, this alone should suggest that his public position on the James Martin topic has universal relevance. 
but that's not enough. The timing suggests that we are facing a coordinated offensive to give a very specific pro-James Martin direction to the Synod on Synodality that Pope Francis cares so much about. In February, for example, it was the Luxembourg Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, president of the European bishops, to ask for a change in doctrine in favor of the James Martin topic, without his appointment as general rapporteur of the Synod on Synodality being questioned, end quote. Various high-ranking prelates took positions openly defying church teaching that goes back to the time of our Lord and face zero repercussions for it. And this problem goes well beyond the bounds of the German Synod, with a Vatican official speaking to the American bishops secretly during the alleged Fatima consecration, as well as numerous European bishops taking a stand against the traditional teaching of the church on this dicey issue. And that brings us to this. The German bishops have responded to their critics from among the various better bishops. A couple of weeks ago, around 70 bishops and cardinals signed an open letter of, to the German bishops, begging them to hold fast to the faith and not go into schism. Their response is that there is no danger of schism. That's frankly incredible and completely wrongheaded. From the National Catholic Registry, the headline, German bishops president responds to letter warning of schism risk, risk in synodal path. The German bishops claim that their efforts to change the church's teaching on the morality of the flesh is due to the Ted McCarrick problem of the church, which seems to be a subtle way of admitting that most of the Ted McCarrick type priests that are in the church have, shall we say, a lot in common with Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit church. And that is a massive admission that few seem to be noticing. From the article, quote, Bishop George Botzing of Limburg, president of the German Bishops Conference responded Thursday to a letter warning the German the country's synodal path could lead to schism by defending the process as a response to abuses in the church. The synodal path is our attempt in Germany to confront the systemic causes of the Ted McCarrick problems and its cover-up that have caused untold suffering to so many people and through the church, Bishop Botzing wrote April 14th to Archbishop Samuel Aquila of Denver. The German Bishop's letter was published April 16th at the German Bishops Conference website. More than 80 bishops from around the world signed an April 11th open letter sent by Archbishop Aquila that warned sweeping changes to church teaching advocated by the Synodal Path may lead to schism. The Synodal Path is a process that brings together German lay people and Catholic bishops to discuss four major topics. How power is exercised in the church, the morality of the flesh, the priesthood, and the role of women. When the German bishops launched the process, they initially said, that the deliberations would be, quote, binding on the German church, prompting a Vatican intervention that rejected such claims. The Synodal Assembly has voted in favor of documents calling for the priestly ordination of women, James Martin blessings, and to change teaching on James Martin activities. Bishop Botzing wrote in his response to Archbishop Aquila's concerns that abuses in the church had hampered her witness and that the Synodal path is therefore also our attempt to make a credible proclamation of the good news possible again. This occasion and context is particularly important to us, but unfortunately it is not mentioned at all in your letter, he charged, end quote. That's Bishop Botzin's way of saying that the bishops who wrote their intervention don't care enough about the Ted McCarrick problem to do anything about it. And in a way he's right, at least for one reason. There has not been a forceful admission by a mainline better bishop that there is a direct link between the Ted McCarrick's of the church and the Father James Martin's of the church, if you catch my meaning that those issues are inseparably linked, and until the men unfit to be priests are expelled, even if they have not caused overt harm, this issue cannot be dealt with. Of course, that's not what the German bishops want to do at all. They want to make those issues accepted in the church at a time when the broader society is just starting to realize 
that the McCarricks and Martins of the world are actually linked together. The bishops that are, you know, who signed that letter need to snap out of it and stop being so moderate in their tone and take a much harder line stance on these topics. But again, that's unlikely to happen for very obvious reasons. One bishop who was at the secret meeting of bishops in Chicago has come forward as one of the signers of the intervention aimed at the German Synod, which is itself remarkable. His reasoning for signing it is the fear of embracing relativism. This is incredibly bizarre given his statement and what went on in that secret meeting of the bishops during the consecration. The National Catholic Reporter covered this story with the aim of getting people to still support the Synod and its aims of remaking the church into the image of the world. From that article, quote, one name on the list of signatories jumped out at me. Bishop Michael Vorfell of Great Falls Billings, Montana, who was at the meeting of bishops and theologians in Chicago last month, and whom I always think of as a pastor first and foremost without any special ideological baggage. I wrote to Warfel and asked why he signed it. As I've read about the synodal path and fundamental document produced from it, concerns surfaced, he replied in an email. From what I have read, there is an indication of a desire to change church discipline and doctrine. While there are ample disciplines that may be adjusted, e.g. mandatory celibacy, doctrine is a different matter, especially when the delegates of the synodal path indicate irreformable doctrine. Warfel said he was worried about the German process sowing confusion. There is one statement in particular that caught my attention and caused a bit of heartache. There is no one truth of the religious, moral, and political world. This comes from the fundamental text document. To me, it sounds a lot like, well, that may be your truth, but it is not my truth. This can easily lead into relativism. Asked if sending such a public rebuke really fit the definition of synodality, Warfel replied, I actually view the open letter more as a frank dialogue. Pope Francis has emphasized the need for dialogue, he added. I think a confidential or private letter would not garner much attention from the German bishops. I also do not believe a confidential or private letter would remain so for very long. As former Vatican Nuncio Archbishop Pietro Sambi said to me long ago, before I was appointed to Great Falls Billings and had heard about the appointment before he called me, it's hard to keep a secret in the church, end quote. In other words, even the modernist bishops are afraid of the program that the German bishops are running, that the German bishops are pushing far too hard, far too fast that as a consequence, they might break the church apart with their embracing of sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. One of the questions I have that I just haven't seen anyone else asking about all this is this, given how focused they are on those sins of a father James Martin nature will say, typically only those so concerned with those sins to the level that they are that concerned with them, actually are engaged in those sins themselves. Typically, most people don't spend their time thinking about that kind of thing. And so the question has to be asked, are these bishops keeping their vows to live in accordance with their state in life? Someone needs to ask them to their faces, and I don't have the ability to do that, but their focus on this is beyond strange. It needs to be examined further. So with that, I'm gonna close and ask this rather basic question. Are we seeing a fracturing of the church along three lines? Those being with the traditionally minded Catholics and the two factions of the modernists. Let me know in the comments if you think that this is the case because even the modernists are now battling among themselves for control of the institutional church. I'm curious if you're seeing this fracturing in the same way that I am. And like and subscribe if you haven't, it really does help. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein, Ave Maria.